First reading is taken from Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. And this can be found on page 961 of the Church Bible (coughs) in the Old Testament section. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. This is the word of the Lord. If you're comfortable to do so, uh, please do stand for our gospel, which Alison is going to read to us this morning. Uh, The gospel reading today is from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, and can be found on page 1029 of the Church Bible. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and Traconius, and Lysanius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to, the, to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is the gospel of the Lord. So may I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mind you, it's lovely to have the Son's presence, isn't it? To be worrying about it. It's beautiful. So that's good news this morning. So good news, exciting news, challenging news, alarming news. All need to be delivered quickly, urgently, reliably, and to as wide an audience as possible. So we may have news of a new monarch, of a rapidly spreading wildfire, a terrifying earthquake, a rising flood, a shooting, a new birth, a sporting win, an election result. And the news has to be spread effectively and well. The internet, social media, all of our technological gadgets 
have had a great impact on the way that news is sent, the way it's made, reported, and spread. As we know, it goes viral very quickly. I was touched with the story, you probably saw it too, a, a couple of, uh, well, it's nearly a couple of weeks ago now, a boy who spent, sent a birthday card to his dad, who died, sent it to heaven, and it, he received a touching letter back from Royal Mail to say it had been delivered safely. So messages are important. But to be affected, they have to be sent, they have to be given, have to be delivered. Whether they are handwritten, sent electronically, or spoken. But in times and ages gone by, things were quite different, and the news was reported differently. Uh, over many years, I've gone to Cromer and there, because my friend lives in Cromer, and we've been to the carnival. And there's always a little bit of competition between the town criers of Sheringham and Cromer, which is about a few miles between. And that's how the carnival is opened, with the town crier. And in ages gone by, there would be heralds, messengers, couriers. We still have those on bikes and things, don't we? These are all names of those who reported news in those days. Those charged with spreading the news to as many as people as possible and as quickly as possible. Now our two readings today are linked. They are linked because they both have messages and they both have messengers who speak to the people of their day and therefore they speak to us as well this Advent. So let's look and see what they said in more detail. So the first messenger was Malachi. Malachi was a prophet who wrote the last book of the Old Testament. And the word Malachi is Hebrew for messenger. And the book was written between 440 and 400 BC. The message comes from God that he will act in power to fulfill his word. He will once again come to the temple, rebuilt after exile. But before the Lord comes, the prophet was speaking to the people to get them to turn back to God, to make preparations and to recall them to their covenant relationship. And to emphasize this, Malachi uses two illustrations about purification. God's coming will be joyful, but the good news will be tempered by the certainty of judgment. 
And he stresses this through two images of purification, which must happen. Refining of gold and silver, and a fuller soap used to cleanse newly woven cloth. These images remind me of his favourite song of mine, Refiner's Fire, written by the Canadian composer Brian Dawson. Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy, set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. This was the message of Malachi. They were to turn again to God. And not only were the people to turn to God, but the conduct of Israel's priests, sons of Levi, they too must be refined for their worship to be acceptable to God and for their role in leading the people. So the second messenger is John the Baptist. So it was a very long period in which the voice of the prophets were not heard. And then John the Baptist makes his appearance, bursts on the scene. Those of you who go back to my a long time in St. Michael's remember a production of Godspell here, where the opening of, the, of Godspell, I'm not going to sing it, But prepare ye the way of the Lord was very, very striking. And I've never forgotten that. But Luke is a historian and an evangelist. And so he sets the scene in the midst of world history. His gospel gives attention to political and historical detail. And therefore, we're coming to those difficult names in a moment, Luke lists the political and religious leaders at the time of John's appearance in the desert. And salvation is understood as God's breaking into this political and social history. So in the 15th year, very precise, of Tiberius Caesar's reign, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Herod Antipas, son of Herod the Great, ruled as Tetrarch. The literal meaning of Tetrarch is someone who rules a quarter of a country. But here the term is used more loosely as leader of a small regional area. Philip, also known as the Tetrarch, was the half-brother of Herod Antipas and is generally seen as the most sincere and upright of these rulers listed here. 
Licinius, very little is known about him. And it was a common name for the kings of Abilene, which was a region 20 miles northwest of Damascus. Damascus, where Paul was converted. And Ananias and Caiaphas are high priests at the time. Now these cruel and powerful men will appear again, of course, in the gospel as it develops. And these men give an idea of the strength of the opposition which John the Baptist and Jesus would experience in their ministry. But the gloom of this introduction by Luke gives way to a vision of hope and promise. When the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes into the world. Now in biblical times, when people of importance travelled anywhere, kings, etc., Thousands of workers had to prepare so they could travel on the roads. And these workers fanned out across the countryside, removing debris from the road, sprucing up the public buildings along the way. And they generally made sure that everything would be at the best for the king who was coming. And Luke borrows Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah's words, from Isaiah 40. In Isaiah 40, they're talking about, they're talking about uh, expectation of returning from exile to a more wide-ranging hope of salvation. And this is what Isaiah says. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So Luke adds a verse to Isaiah and he is giving here a glimpse of the expectation that salvation will not just be to the Jews. It will be to the Gentiles. Luke wrote his gospel for each gospel has a different emphasis and his is to that ministry for the Gentiles. And so the line that's added, and all people will see God's salvation. So Luke himself, a Gentile, asserts from scripture that all people, 
not just those who were in the original covenant, the Jews, would see God's salvation in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is revealed as the Son of God through Malachi's prophecy and John the Baptist's ministry. And we can learn from these two messengers that preparation for the Messiah, then as now, requires a conversion and a transformation of the heart and mind. The wilderness is often associated with the place where God speaks to his people over and over in the Bible. Just to mention a few, it reminds us of Exodus, of the Mount Sinai where the commandments were given, and the return of the people, Jewish people, from exile. So John went into the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Luke links this text with the Old Testament and Jewish tradition. The need to be forgiven, the promise of forgiveness, depends on repentance, turning around. They are central to God's dynamic activity. And John's call for repentance is linked to the offer of God's grace, symbolized by baptism. John's hearers were to be transformed by turning away from a corrupt regime in preparation for God's salvation. And God wants all of us to accept his offer of salvation so that lives can be changed for good. This is a realistic demand based on God's love for us. And God promises us forgiveness if we turn away from our sins, from the distracting things of our material lives, and turn towards God asking his pardon and forgiveness insofar as we pardon and forgive others in our lives. I'm reminded that every Sunday, I've said this many times, but it really speaks to me that at the start of the service we say that we are sorry and we receive God's forgiveness through the absolution. A very, very important part that we start in that place of recognition of who God is. So what are the crooked paths and mountains and hills that hamper our way forward? A few weeks ago we had a very moving forgiveness project and I hope that most of you took part in that or at least saw what was on offer there and it really spoke so powerfully of people's experience in life and how 
whether they had a faith or not, that forgiveness was a very important part of their restoration. For us as Christians, as I've already said, forgiveness is very important, not just as individuals, but as communities and as churches and as communities outside. How do we behave? How do we receive? How do we forgive? Again, we will be coming to the peace where we share the peace with one another. Very important. So this morning, can we let go of the feelings, the hurts that we have been wronged by perhaps someone? It's very hard to let go. Find a way to make peace with the things in our lives that are holding us back. As we saw in that project, so many lives were changed through doing that, however hard that is. Maybe we are estranged from somebody in the family, a neighbor, a friend. Maybe we are really angry with someone. Maybe someone we work with who has upset us. We have to let that go and allow God to change that experience for us. Because healing comes through forgiving, through repentance. Let us turn to God, leveling the mountains and valleys in our lives, like that road that was made smooth. Live our lives and prepare our hearts to receive Jesus afresh in our lives today. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus identified John the Baptist as being among the greatest prophets. It said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. After all, God granted John the unique honor of introducing the Messiah to the nation of Israel. John described Jesus to his people and said in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The message the gospel in a nutshell. The good news is in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world condemn the world but to save the world through him.
John's preaching of the coming of the Lord is a key theme of the Advent season. As John's message prepared the way for Jesus, we too are called to prepare ourselves for Jesus' coming. We respond to John's message by repentance and reform of our lives and by sharing this good news of Jesus' love with others. Advent is a time set aside by the church to spiritually prepare us for both the celebration of Jesus, the first coming, and for the return of the Lord at the second coming of Jesus. Amen.